0: We are continuing our series, Provoking Grace. We're studying the life of Jacob. And today's text is Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. I think we're on probably page 13 or so in the Pew Bible. It's kind of hard to miss Genesis, it's the first book. So you'll get there. Um, Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Let me just pray and we'll dive into the text. Father, we, we need your grace. Uh, we are studying that in this series. I pray, God, that it would not just be a mental exercise to know categories and words. We want to experience you. I trust that many here are in situations where there's a desperate need. Sometimes those desperate needs are not even, we're not even aware Uh, We're going about our life. We're doing our thing. Lord, may we encounter you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and the gate of, this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that i come again to my father's house in peace then the lord shall be my god and this stone which i have set up for a pillar shall be god's house and of all that you give me i will give you a full a full tenth to you this is god's word reading this passage uh, reminded me of traveling scenarios that you would like to forget have you had those trips the ones where, oh, man, I want to forget this trip. I, we, we've had some of those. I've had few of those. I was thinking of one where it was December, and we were living in New York City, and I was to go to a campus staff meeting in Jacksonville, Florida, so different climate. And uh, I had a terrible cold or something upper respiratory. And so I get on the plane, and it's like bad. All up here, sinuses, full thing. Have you ever been on the plane when your sinuses are... It's not going right. And so there's a point in the, in the ride where all that pressure, it's right here. I thought I was like going to have permanent damage in my face because it was so bad. Uh, and I was just praying, Lord, um, how much longer till we hit the ground? And uh, yeah, and then I, you know, I go to this meeting and then I, I can't even like hardly talk. And I'm thinking to myself, why did I even come here? Um, that was not a trip worth remembering. Uh, I remember another trip, also going to a a campus staff conference in a different location. Um, It was when Josiah was a baby. Maybe I think it was a little over a year old. We were going from New York City to Austin, Texas. And we go to LaGuardia Airport, which is in Queens. And we we are sitting in the waiting area. We've got others from our team are there. There's a delay on the plane, right? Um, Four-hour delay. We're sitting there. Did I mention that we have a one-year-old? And I think it was the bathroom that was messed up. And I think if, you know, if, we had, if they asked us, you know what, it's okay, we'll figure it out. I think there's another bathroom on the plane. We, we can just, let's just go. So, but no, they fixed the bathroom four hours later and we board the plane. And so we get to DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth, have our connecting flight to Austin, but of course we missed the connecting flight, right? So we get a later flight. We get into Austin. Then we get to the rental car. We get to the hotel that they've, you know, purchased all of the rooms and stuff for us. Becca and I and baby Joe are sitting there at the the front desk. Okay, we're ready to check in, and the person behind the desk, huh? Looks like somebody already's checked into your room, and we're fully booked. It's 11 p.m. Did I, by the way, and did I mention we have a one-year-old? <laughs> And so we're going to have to put you in a different hotel. Are you serious? Okay, so we go to a different hotel, and we get in there, and at this point, like, Joe has not really slept on the flight. He's fussy. We find out he has a fever of 103. Yeah, I want to forget that whole experience, Traveling can have lots of things, especially nowadays, involving flights where you want to forget. But this particular journey that Jacob is taking is one for the memories. He sets up a memorial. And the reason why this journey that would otherwise be worth forgetting kind of in this nowhere place in a rough spot in his life is because he has this encounter with grace. This morning's message I'm entitling, "Grace invites awe and surrender. Grace invites awe and surrender." And there's three things that goes on here or happen here in the text. First of all, there's the offer, the offer that God makes, the offer, the setting, the situation, you have to understand some of the background of what Jacob has been through. we'll talk about that. But what's the offer that God makes? Then secondly, the terms, the terms of the offer. Lastly, the effect. How does it, what does it do for him? And what is ultimately, if we have this encounter, going to do for us? Our premise, thesis, if you will, for this series has been, what provokes grace? The answer is nothing. God gives it freely. He gives it irrespective of your moral behavior or any other thing that you could think you could do to deserve it. That's why it's grace. Grace. But when we encounter it, when we experience it, it provokes us. Let's think about the offer. The first point, the offer that God makes. First of all, you see, Jacob, Jacob he's, he's left Beersheba. Last week we had a map and we showed it's about, it's at least a four to five hundred mile journey. And he's going on foot from his homeland up to One of the reasons he's going there is to find a wife up to Haran, but another reason is because his brother hates him and is going to kill him. That's a good reason to get out of the house. Um, And so he's going up to Haran, and it says in verse 11, he came to a certain place, not even a name place, though we get a name later. It's just a certain, just a random place. Otherwise, innocuous, just sort of everyday life type of situation. And stayed there that night because the sun had set. And he he took one of the stones of the place. He put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. Let's think about where where Jacob is, his setting. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He clearly doesn't have a lot of possessions with him because what is he sleeping on? A rock. That's a night to forget, right? Um, And he's... Leaving, as I mentioned, because he's on this journey because his brother hates him. The one brother he has, his older brother, and his brother was going to kill him. And, and by the way, he doesn't know this at the time, but his mom who favored him and who loved him, he will never see again. So he's, he's out on his own. He's in this lonely spot, this lonely place, and it's a dark night. That's the situation. That he's in. And then he begins to have this dream, and it says in verse 12, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder. Really, if we were to think about that word ladder, it's probably a staircase. Um, So, we're we're doing this house. We've got house projects. Um, That's the thing. If you're an undergrad here, you're probably going to hear a lot of house projects. It seems that way it's going for us as a family. Um, but one of the house last year was plumbing. This year, it's other things. Um, but we're, we did the roof. Well, we didn't do it. It was done for us um, this summer. But we have been painting, and by we, I mean Becca. And so uh, we, have, we had to buy a ladder and get up on the top. She got up on the top. And, you know, from the bottom of the ladder where I'm holding it as she goes up to the high points, you know, it's just one-way traffic on the ladder. She's up or down. And for a whole week or half the week, I've been thinking about, you know, making the reference where my angel was at the top of the ladder. But um, I felt like it was a little cheesy, but I just said it anyways. I mean, not a little cheesy, a lot cheesy. It's one-way traffic. Probably this is a staircase. Probably there's lots of angels simultaneously ascending and descending. And what's interesting, I think that the image that this is trying to conjure, if you are familiar with the book of Genesis, is there is a former instance where people are building a structure to get to heaven, Genesis 11. We refer to it as the Tower of Babel. Some think of this as what was called a ziggurat, Z-I-G-G-U-R-A-T, not a cigarette, a ziggurat. Um, and so the ziggurat was this structure, think pyramid, ancient pyramid with steps on the outside as a temple up top, because the whole idea is you're climbing your way up to God. That's a ziggurat. That's actually the familiar ex- experience of all of human life. We, we have this innate desire to transcend, to move our way up to do the steps to get to God, and so we build ziggurats metaphorically in our life. Religion, irreligion, it's all the same. You see, religion is human effort to climb your way up to God, to follow the steps, to do the path, to to do et cetera. Irreligion, or those that either are distancing themselves from organized religion or maybe aren't really thinking about religion in a a conscious way, still are trying to live a transcendent life like the folks in Babel, making a name for yourself. Religion is about the five pillars, the eightfold path, the pursuit of Nirvana. Those are all ziggurat projects. Irreligion is about being somebody making a name for yourself, expressing yourself. Here's an example from Madonna. Now, I know there's lots of folks in the room. Who is Madonna? Okay, she did win seven Grammys. She's probably a granny. Um, But she was, at one point in time, really famous. Um, I, I actually think probably a lot of you know who she is. Anyways, well, in 1991, in Vanity Fair, she's at the top of her game, And she does this interview, and she says this. She says, I have an iron will, and all my will has been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. Then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Do you hear what she's saying? She's saying, I'm climbing the steps. Down at the bottom is a mediocre life, up at the top is being somebody, and my whole life is about trying to ascend the steps of the ziggurat. That's the ziggurat project she was living. This dream that Jacob has is completely different. I mean, in the ancient Near Eastern world, ziggurats were commonplace, staircases up to heaven. We already heard about one in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. This staircase is different. You see, because it's set up on the earth and it actually reaches heaven. And behold, the angels of God were sending on descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it himself. He's, he's, so God is saying, instead of your aims to climb the steps to try to get up to me, I'm building a staircase so that I can come down to you. One note on the the the, the text here says that the Lord stood above it. There's actually ambiguity in the preposition there and the um, the pronoun. It could be stood beside him or above him, um, which I feel is really neither here nor there. The point that we're trying to the point that the, the author is trying to get at here is you think about the imagery first in this dream. There's a ladder, staircase. Then you see angels on this staircase. And then it zeroes in, the Lord is standing there himself. And remember, Jacob is running for his life. He's broke. He's alone. All his life, he's been a conniver, a thief, a liar, a deceiver. And now God shows up. God is saying, you can't come up to me, so I am going to come down to you. Furthermore, God comes to Jacob when Jacob's not even seeking him. He's not praying. He's not calling out to God and saying, God, I've messed up my life. He's just going about his journey. There's no prayer. There's no searching. It's just grace. Grace from God. Maybe you're on a journey. Maybe you're feeling all alone. Maybe you're at the night of your own soul. Well, guess what? You don't have to keep living the cigarette life because God has made a way to come down to you. You need to consider this offer, which is infinitely better than the offer of trying to build a cigarette project. So let's look at the terms. That's the second point. God's terms are different than the terms of religion and irreligion. God's terms, well, first, religious terms or irreligious terms. It's always do X and maybe you'll get Y. Do all of this stuff and perhaps one day you might reach it. I mean, for religion, if you think about it, you could do the five pillars. Maybe at the end of it, God's going to accept you. If you follow the path, maybe one day you'll be incorporated into the all soul. Maybe one day you'll hit nirvana. Maybe one day you'll arrive. As far as her irreligion, it's what Madonna said. She says, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. In other words, if I keep pushing myself, if I keep going, if I keep trying, if I keep producing, maybe one day I'll be somebody. Do X then maybe you'll get why. For Jacob, for him, he thought, if I can just trick everybody, if I can just trick my brother, if I can just connive him and deceive him, if I can just figure out a a moment, an opportune moment, I can get the birthright, I can get the blessing. And yes, at, at the end of it, when he's leaving home, yes, his dad does finally knowingly and willingly bless him. But at what cost? He leaves home. He has nothing. He's sleeping on a rock. He has no inheritance and hasn't materialized. He has no, that he was in good graces with his mom. He's not going to see her again. Do X and maybe you'll get Y. Well, guess what? He got nothing. He has, materially, he has nothing. The terms of religion or irreligion are not in your favor. There's no guarantees, there is no assurance, no matter what path you take. If we think about it, we know plenty of examples of people who've lived a cigarette project. Plenty of examples of people who never make it to the top and are disillusioned. Plenty of examples of people who do make it to the top only to find out, it's not what I thought. It's not as sustaining It's not as satisfying as I thought it would be. Plenty of athletes you could talk to, they have won the Super Bowl and in the locker room the night after the game. Is this all that this is? Plenty of other examples in the process of making it to the top who become a monster in the process. I think about, not to pick on him, Tiger Woods, if you think about all that, I mean, at one point, he was, you could arguably say he's probably, he's definitely one of the best athletes in the last hundred years. Because if you think about golf, which I don't play, but I do understand, in other sports, tennis, you know, baseball, or what have you, you're playing one opponent at a time. In golf, you're playing a hundred people at the same time, and you're on this same medium, the course. But the height of Tiger Woods' career, he would win tournaments 28% of the time. In other words, better than one out of every tournament he played, he would win against 100 people at the same time. Not one match against one person, one course against 100 people. That's really significant, obviously. Um, You know, he was one of the highest-paid athletes. He was the highest-paid athlete, you know, for several years, but he had this whole other double life. And I think if you asked his ex-wife, she would say, he was a monster. Plenty of examples of folks who never get to the top, who get what they want, it's not satisfying, who become a monster in the process or in a religious setting, who do all the steps, do all the steps, do all the things, but have no assurance of what's gonna come at the end. Those are the terms of irreligion and religion. But here are God's terms. Verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God's terms are terms of covenant, covenant agreement, covenant like husband and wife. My wife and I made terms of agreement. We're not leaving each other. We are here till the end. That's what God says. That's what grace is. I'm going to give you this land. You've been a taker all your life, Jacob. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to do what I promised. The language of religion and irreligion is do X, then maybe you'll get Y. The language of grace is I will be your God, period. I will be with you, period. I will be your shepherd, period. They're terms of assurance. Religion, irreligion, don't offer any guarantees. God offers you assurance in his grace. But you could say there is a problem of sorts. How can a holy God offer terms like that to a sinner like Jacob or like you and me. I mean, look at his life. He's from birth, he's been a grasper, literally grasping the heel of his twin brother Esau. He's been a conniver, a thief, a deceiver, a liar, a taker. He's been all of these things. He's been an opportunistic um, person who comes in and then at at the moment of Esau's weakness, steals his birthright from him. God says to him, Jacob, the sinner, who stands for all of us, you don't need to live a ziggurat life. Here's my stairway so that I can reach down to you. You and I, like Jacob, we live a ziggurat life. We live this life where we're trying to push, or we're like Madonna. We're driven by fear. We're driven by, I don't want to be fill in the blank, and so therefore, I'm going to do all of this. Yet God offers offers you grace, you and me. He offers us grace. How can he do it? He's holy. He's just. He's pure. He is everything that sin isn't. He is right. He is just. He is pure. He is holy. How can he offer proximity to fallen sinners? You see, the, the reason, the answer is the staircase in Jacob's dream, that was pointing to a greater reality that would later materialize in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, when he was doing his ministry, he um, is in the process of assembling his disciples and he meets the fishermen, you know, Peter and Andrew and James and John and those guys. Uh, and one day he meets Nathanael. Nathaniel had been doing something under a tree before Jesus met him and someone comes to him and Nathanael says, hey, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel's like, wait, where is he from? Nazareth? Psh. God, no way. Nothing ever good comes out of Nazareth. You know, God never shows up in wasteful places, the middle of nowhere. Well, Jesus meets him and he says, you know, I saw you under the tree. You're an Israelite in whom there's no guile. Nathaniel says, the, my Lord, you know, you're the Messiah. And, and Jesus says, you believe that, I'm gonna show you greater things. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus saying? He says, I'm at the bottom of the staircase. In in Genesis 28, he's at the top, the triune God at the top of the staircase or present in in the dream. Now he's at the bottom. He becomes our substitute. And he says, you're going to see heaven open." He's the one who stands in our place as holy and right and righteous and good so that God can give you this amazing offer of covenant grace. How can a holy God make a covenant with sinful ziggurat climbers? It's because Jesus came to stand in your place and my place. You're living life to make your way up. He came down. He opened the heavens for those who realize I am never going to make it to the top. So therefore, I need God to come down to me. He came down for you. He comes into your place. He calls you into his place. He calls you and he says, you were crucified with him. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. And now in Christ, you are seated with him in the heavenlies you don't climb the ziggurat, he comes down to you. So how do you experience this actual terms? How do you have this experience that Jacob has? It's not enough to believe in God. Jacob believed in God all his life. He was raised in the ways of Yahweh. It's not enough to say, I know he's there. Jacob needed to experience, to encounter him. How do you encounter him? Well, you have to to say this. You have to say, Jesus, you're my substitute. You're the one who came down. You're the one on the bottom of the staircase who came down to live the life I should have lived, who died the death that was for me, for whom heaven's actually closed on the cross because of my sin, and now heaven opens because I turn to you. That's what you have to say. It leads us to the effect. Religion and irreligion, what do they produce in our lives? They produce fear. Insecurity, a lack of certainty. Madonna said, no certainty about ever being somebody. The Pharisees in the New Testament, they're self-righteous, they're prideful, they look down on sinners. But what is Jacob's response? He has three responses. First, he says, he says, verse 16: Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome in this place is this place. Now, you could look at the word afraid and think, well, wait a minute. I thought religion makes you afraid. I thought irreligion makes you afraid. You're driven by fear. Different kind of fear here. In fact, the word, the Hebrew word for fear is the same word or afraid is the same root word for awesome. This is talking about reverence. This is talking about Jacob, he, he started to get it. Oh God, you are awesome. You came down to me? You offered a staircase for me? It results in awe. That's what grace produces in your life. Fear the Lord, awe, reverence. Secondly, Jacob makes this memorial. He's in a place that's really forgettable. He's sleeping on a stone, but he says, I want to remember this night. He, st- he takes the stone that he, s- that he slept on, And he makes it into a memorial and he calls the place Bethel, which means house of God, because he says, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Now, why would Jacob want to remember a night like this? When he's running, he's afraid, he's alone, he's broke. It's because he had an encounter with God and all his life, he had been a taker and when he experiences grace, for the first time, he realizes, God wants to give me things. I don't have to be a taker. I don't have to be a climber. God comes down to give it to me. He wants to do that for you. That's how God extends his grace for you. When God gave his son Jesus, Paul says in Romans 8, how would he, who, how, or he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The reason why this is a memorable experience is because now you realize you don't have to be a taker. God wants to graciously give to you. In the last response from Jacob, he says, in verse 22, the stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob says something for the first time in his life. Now, mind you, there's, you know, debate around, um, is this a faithful response? Because he says, if, you know, and he makes this vow, God shows up, and this doesn't sound very definitive. But for the sake of time, I want to say this. There's something about this, this last sentence there's actually, it doesn't come across here in the English, but there's this emphatic, I will certainly give you a tenth. God, if you're going to do all this stuff for me, I will certainly tie to you. I will give to you. I will surely give you a tenth. For the first time in his life, Jacob says, I'm going to give. See, for his whole life, he's been taking. I'm grasping the heel of my brother as I come out of the womb. And he's been taking ever since, and this is the first time, because he has an experience with grace, he says, God, I want to generously give to you. Out of all you give me, I'll give you a tenth. He's saying, the inheritance, the stuff you give me, that's not going to be my God. You're going to be my God. So what does this all mean? It means that maybe you believe in God. Maybe maybe, maybe you have a theological construct in your mind. Yes, God exists. Yes, you know, Jesus, he could be the son of God. You need more than that. You need to encounter him. You need to experience his grace. And that comes by you saying, you know, Jesus, first of all, God, this offer of grace to get me off the treadmill, get me off the cigarette project, that's a better offer than I'm living. And the way I get it is because I realize, Jesus, you're my substitute. That's what you have to do. You have to do that. You have to live that way. Or maybe you've, you've had those experience, you've had that experience in your life. You have to come to terms with the fact that, you know what, even though Jesus did that for me, I still get back into trying to climb those steps in my career, in my family, in my whatever it is. You have to get off of those steps and come back and realize what, your, your life is not justified by what you do. It's justified by what Jesus did. And lastly, you have to think about how do you respond to God and to people? Are you generous? Are you a giver? Do you have awe? Those are things you need to consider because when grace comes into your life, that's the effect it has. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we could study your word and understand who you are and the grace you give us. Lord, I pray that you would expose our hearts where we try to live the ziggurat life. God, help us to receive what you came to give instead. In Jesus' name, amen.